1912 and 13 copy of the Boy Scouts of America handbook. Now, I'm not a Boy Scout. Um, I got as far as about being a cub, and then I found something else I wanted to do. And you, you can imagine during childhood, that's kind of the way it is. You want to do this, then you want to do this, then you want to do this, then you want to do this. But I have read in several places that if you want a good guide to pretty much everything pertaining to being a good red-blooded American male, you cannot do much better than the 1912-13 edition of the Boy Scouts of America handbook. And you know that pretty well when you open the table of contents and you look and there is a note written from Colonel Theodore Roosevelt. Colonel Theodore Roosevelt. And I was like, huh. Well, I could buy a copy of the Boy Scouts of America handbook, 1912 13, in its original binding for the low, low price of $500. And it's basically falling apart. So I decided if I wanted to read it, I would just go look at one of the online copies that's available for free and just not have it in my hands. But it was really good because it can tell you, if you get lost in the woods and you got that book on you, guess what? You're going to be the Swiss Family Robinson. You will just live out there. You will know how to build fire. You will know how to hunt things. You will know how to tie knots. You will know how to you know, make, I, I don't know, build computers and cell phones out of twigs. I mean, it's, it's all in there. Um, it makes you this little child MacGyver living in the woods. Uh, but the reason I bring this up is because as good of a survival guys, guide as that is, it doesn't do much to cover spiritual survival. It doesn't do much to cover that. And Paul is going to talk to us about spiritual survival today in Ephesians 5, um, verses uh, 15 through 21. And so I've titled our sermon this morning, An Evil Day's Survival Guide to Walking in Wisdom. Because that's pretty much how Paul frames it. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. If you would stand with me out of the respect for the reading of God's word, we will read those verses and then we're going to dive straight in. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Lord, I pray that you bless your word that you give us soft hearts to hear it and obey it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. An evil day's survival guide to walking in wisdom. Let's go through what we've covered in Ephesians thus far. Paul starts out by talking to these uh, brand new believers in the city of Ephesus who are apparently concerned because they do not share the spiritual background with the Jewish believers. They haven't known the Jewish Bible. They haven't grown up understanding the God that we know is the God of the Bible. But Paul tells them to take solace. You've been saved by the same blood of Jesus that we have. You are on equal footing with the gospel as we are because it's not our works that save us. It's grace that saves us through faith. And then Paul starts to unfold this identity. Who these folks are in Christ 
then last week he told them he, there's this big buildup and he says at one time you were darkness. Not just you were in darkness, but at one time you were the darkness. He said if you wanted to know what the problem with the world was, you could have gone home and looked in the mirror because you were it. But now in Christ... In the Lord, you are light. You are God's plan A for his witness in the world. There is no plan B. That you once were darkness, but now you are light. So Paul says, because you are light, we reach verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly. We're going to look at five points in Paul's Evil Day Survival Guide today, and y'all are like, oh, Lord, five points. That's why we only sang three songs. No, I promise I'm not doing it. That, that's not the plan. Um, they're really simple. But in my experience, it's the simple things we tend to miss. Because we think they're so easy that we just kind of glance over them and we fail to do, we fail to get to understand the fundamentals. So these are, are very basic. There are five of them, and I want us to look at them today. First, understand your time for living wisely is limited. Verse 15, Paul says, See then that you walk circumspectly. This is your SAT word of the week, um, or one of two of them. Uh, I looked up circumspect because I'm a nerd, and that's what I do. I open dictionaries. Um, the definition of circumspect is watchful, indiscreet, cautious, prudent, or well-considered. So to walk circumspectly is a fancy way of saying, watch where you put your feet before you put them down. Do you ever have your mama say, watch where you put your feet, watch where you go, and don't just, you know, don't shuffle your feet, pick your feet up, look where you're going. Paul says in kind of a lifestyle kind of way, Christians, walk circumspectly, pay attention, uh, don't be foolish. He says, not as fools, but wise. So let's put it together. If it's, it's wise for you to walk watchfully, it's wise for you to walk prudently, it is wise for you to walk and consider your steps, consider what you're doing. So it's foolish not to. To just follow your instincts, to follow what you want, to buy into your impulses. He says that's foolish. Don't do it. And what's his reason for saying that? Verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. How many of you, interactivity time, how many of you would like to be a millionaire? Anybody? Okay. For those whose hands are not up, next week's sermon will be on lying. No, I'm just kidding. Um, all of, if somebody just said, would you like to have a million? I don't think most of us would say no. Our next question would probably be, what's the catch? But if I were to say there's no catch, do you want a million dollars? I think we would all just, none of us would really turn that down. What if I were to tell you that if you started saving when you were 20 years old, if you put away $2 a day, by the time you were 65, you would have a million dollars saved up. Two dollars a day. Now, you can blow two and a half, three, four times that if you go to McDonald's. Two dollars a day. That's not all that much. 25-year-old, it's gone up to three dollars and 57 cents a day. 40-year-old, 20 dollars and 55 cents a day. 
A 45-year-old has to save $38.02 per day. It's never too late to start saving. A 55-year-old would have to save $156.12 per day to reach a million dollars by the time he or she is 65. That amounts to $4,749 a month. Easy, easy, easy illustration to show that the biggest difference in how easy it is to accomplish that goal is what? It's not the amount of money. It's the time. This is not a sermon about money. This is, this is partly a sermon about time. There are two things God's not making any more of, land and time. And not all of us have the same amount of land, and we don't know how much time we have. But we do know that we are all hurtling toward our grave at the blistering pace of 60 seconds a minute. Time slows down for no man. It slows down for no woman. And Paul says, don't be unwise... Walk circumspectly, redeem the time. Have you ever thought as a Christian, your opportunities for being obedient to God are limited by time? If the thought ever crosses your mind, I'll be obedient later. I will answer God later. I will serve Jesus in this area of my life later. I've got, time, I've got things I want to do first. Satan's got you. You are totally useless for the kingdom. Satan does not care what you do for the Lord as long as you tell him you're going to do it tomorrow. He does not care. Because you're totally and completely useless for the kingdom if you're always, I'm going to do this for Jesus tomorrow. I'm going to obey God in this tomorrow. I'll tell you as a pastor something that makes the hair on the back of his neck stand up. If there was this guy in high school that I knew that I asked him if he knew the Lord. I said, are you, are, are you saved? And he said, well, no, but I'm going to be. And I just kind of looked. I'd never heard this response before. No, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I'm going to. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, once you're saved, you got to be obedient. I got things I want to do first. And my knees got a little bit weak, and I near about wanted to fall over because I just wanted to scream, Don't you understand? God's not a God you can play with like that. You have limited time. And this is not me trying to scare you. This is me telling you, as a believer, one day, don't you want to stand in front of God and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest that has been prepared for you. One day, you're not going to have any more time to lay away treasure in heaven. Just like it's different. For a 20-year-old and a 55-year-old, how much money they have to save per day to get to a million dollars by the time they're 65, one day you're not going to have any more time to lay away treasure in heaven. One day you're not going to have any more time for evangelism. One day you're not going to have any more time to serve as a Sunday school teacher. One day you're not going to have any more time to serve as a children's worker. One day you're not going to have any more time to serve as a vacation Bible school worker. And I don't want you, members of Stapleton Baptist Church, to look back on your life and say, man, I really wish I had done that. Walk circumspectly. Live your life with the understanding that one day the day is going to come where you're not going to be able to do as much as you were able to do. 
You're not going to be able to do maybe what God called you to do when you're 25, maybe when you're 45 or 55. Time matters. The problem is when we respond just to our flesh, we respond instinctively. We don't perceive time. We perceive now. And Paul says that those of us who are light, those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, should walk wisely by making the best use of the time that God has given us because the days are evil. Now, this can mean a couple of different things. What does it mean when Paul says the days are evil? One... This is F.F. Bruce. He says, the statement that the days are evil might imply that whatever difficulties lie in the way of Christian witness now, they will increase as time goes on. I don't have to give you an illustration to tell you that things will get tougher in the Christian life as time goes on. Go home, turn on the news. There's your illustration. Obedience to Christ now. If you wait until you say it's going to get easier, the truth of the Bible is it will never get easier. It will always get more difficult. It might be diff more difficult for several different reasons. It might be more difficult because society makes it more difficult. It might be more difficult because uh, the effects of sin in your life have made it more difficult. Do I mean that you've sinned, therefore you can't do anything? Maybe. But your body breaking down and aging and sickness, do you know those are effects of sin? Not just specifically yours, but the effect of sin itself on the human race. Aging, death, pain. Those are the effects of sin on humanity as a whole. It's only going to get tougher to obey. And then second, it, it could mean that, that it's going to get more difficult as time goes on. And then finally, it can also mean that time is short. That we don't have long. It is just so appropriate that we sang what is my favorite hymn today. It is well with my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The sky be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. When that trump sounds and the sky rolls back, are you going to be excited because you're glad to finally see your Lord or are you going to be disappointed because you put off serving him until he got here? Don't you want joy at that moment? And it may not be the sky rolling back for you. It may be your eyes closing in death. But either way, your audience with the king is coming. Are you ready? And right now, by the way, I'm speaking to Christians. If, you, if you've never given your life to Christ, I don't want you to hear me saying you've got a limited amount of time to do good things to make God happy with you. It doesn't matter how many good things you've done if you don't know Jesus Christ. You're not ready. You need to have a relationship with Jesus first. That's what makes you ready to see the Lord. Right now I'm talking about rewards. I'm not talking about salvation. If you've never been saved, you need to have your sin forgiven. You need another verse of that song. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious 
thought my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord on my soul. You need that verse. Worry about that verse before you worry about the trump sounding and the Lord descending. Although if you don't deal with verse 2, you might not be ready when verse 4 gets here. There's a reason they're in order. The days are evil. 2 Peter 3, 10 through 11. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Verse 11. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Because the time is limited, because the days are evil, walk wisely. Spend your time well. Think about what you're doing. Think about where you're going. Think about it in eternal context. What difference is what I am spending my time on right now going to make 10,000 years from now? Think in an eternal context. Walk circumspectly. Understand that your time for living wisely is limited. Second, devote your time to understanding the will of God. Look at verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is not on your handout, but I bet you some of you could quote this with me. If I said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's the beginning of Proverbs. The basis of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. I want to read something absolutely terrifying to you. Al Mohler wrote this on his blog, but it's backed up um, with, with some of the studies from Barna and some other guys. Listen to this. I'm just going to read this excerpt that I took in its entirety. Researchers George Gallup and Jim Castelli put the problem squarely. Americans revere the Bible, but by and large, they don't read it. And because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. How bad is it? Researchers tell us it's worse than most could imagine. Fewer than half of, adult, of all adults can name the four Gospels. Many Christians cannot identify more than two or three of the disciples. According to data from the Barna Research Group, 60% of Americans can't name even five of the Ten Commandments. No wonder people break the Ten Commandments all the time. They don't know what they are said George Barna, president of the firm. The bottom line, increasingly America is biblically illiterate. Multiple surveys reveal the problem in stark terms. According to 82% of Americans, God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse. It's not. That's actually anti-gospel. Those identified as born-again Christians did better, though, by 1%. A majority of adults think the Bible teaches the most important purpose in life is taking care of one's family. Some of the statistics are enough to perplex even those aware of the problem. A Barna poll indicated that at least 12% of adults believe Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Another survey of graduating high school seniors revealed that over 50% thought Sodom and Gomorrah were a married husband and wife. A considerable number of respondents to one poll indicated that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. We're in big trouble. Now we're laughing, we're giggling a little bit, but listen to what Paul said. 
Don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul just said, if you don't understand this, you do not have wisdom. That is why your pastor feels no shame for spending 40 minutes every Sunday behind this pulpit with my Bible open because no part of my job is as singularly important as opening this book and explaining what it means. I have no authority other than this book. This church has no life other than this book. We have no wisdom other than this book because this book is the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of the eternal, almighty God. It is the basis, source, and ground of all wisdom. And to not know the Bible is to not know the will of God, is to not know wisdom. Listen to Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And these are not on your handout, but listen to the, the, the emotions that, he, that the psalmist has toward the word. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Application, it's very difficult to walk wisely when you neglect the word of the one who is the source of all wisdom. If the days are evil and our time for obedience is limited and we want to walk in wisdom, the way you walk in wisdom is understand the word of God. Devote time to it. Y'all, the Bible's not easy. It, it's hard. I can go ahead and tell you, as a pastor with more time in seminary than I should have spent, distance learning will do that for you. I still scratch my head at this thing. I've known retired pastors in their 70s. You know what they do? They still scratch their head at this thing. They've been walking with the Lord longer than two of me would have been alive. And they still struggle. It's not easy, but you know what? It's worth it. I'm only 28, my experience is that something's worth is directly proportional to how difficult it is to obtain it. If it's cheap, if it's easy, it's probably not worth all that much. And don't you turn that around and salvation is free and easy. No, it's not. It's free for you. Jesus shed his blood for it. That was the most costly thing that was ever purchased. Devote time to understanding the will of God. Second point for evil days survival guide to walking in wisdom. Third, avoid fruitless time-wasting activities. I'm going to put my Puritan hat on for a second because the Puritans were real big about this. They were not really big on frivolity. Listen to what Paul says in verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Dissipation, as of the dictionary... A wasting by misuse. 
mental distraction, amusement, or diversion. And then the sixth definition, which I thought was very useful, in physics or mechanics, it is a process in which energy is used or lost without accomplishing useful work, like friction causing the loss of mechanical energy. Paul mentions it in this verse, but the main point of this verse is not drunkenness. The main point of this verse is time-wasting. Paul uses drunkenness because neither he nor I can think of a better example of wasted time than drunkenness. Have you ever seen a productive drunk person? Ever in your entire life? Have you ever seen somebody who was a better worker, more productive, when they're totally and completely sloshed? No. And you won't. You'll never see it. A drunk person is so full of alcohol that he or she is totally and completely useless in terms of getting anything done. There's not going to do it. But what does Paul put this up against? He says, don't be full, don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, in which is a waste of time. You're totally useless for getting the job done. You're not surviving well. You're not walking wisely. You're not walking circumspectly. So here's the thing. If circumspectly means well considered, you're watching where you're putting your feet, it doesn't matter if a drunk person's watching where he puts his feet because he can't put them where he's looking. That's why when a cop pulls somebody on the side of the road, they'll put out the chalk line and the drunk person somewhere over here. They can look. They might know what right and wrong is. They might know where they need to put their feet, but they don't have the ability to put them there. They gave that up. They became so filled with something else that they were totally and completely useless for being where they needed to be. So Paul uses this and says, don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. By the way, I'm not saying that's a figure of speech. Don't be drunk with wine. But that's not the main point of the verse. The main point is time-wasting. He puts this up against being filled with the Spirit. When you're filled with the Spirit, you become more useful for kingdom work. Now, I'm not saying, like, we're, we're Baptists. Let me be very theologically clear. I'm not saying there are some moments where I have the Holy Spirit in me and there are some moments where I don't, and Paul is saying be filled with the Spirit so that He's in me rather than not in me. That's not what I'm saying. If you are saved, if you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. The question is not do you have the Holy Spirit. The question in, them, in this verse is how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? Are you letting him fill you, or are you filling yourself with wine? Or let me, let me go this far. How about food? Can you waste time filling yourself up with food instead of doing kingdom work? Yes, you can. What about sex? Yeah, I said it. The Bible says it. I can say it. Is our society preoccupied with that? Yes. Billboards, television, movies, music, everything. But if the church says one thing about it, why are you guys so obsessed with sex? Really, it's us who are obsessed with it. 
Let me go a little bit closer to home. How about sports? As a sports fan, I can say this. You've got to be careful. You get so invested in your team, so invested in your game, if they lose, you're brokenhearted, but you can't remember the last time you were brokenhearted over your sin or the lostness of your community. I know grown men who will cry when a team loses a football game, but they've never once shed a tear over their lost neighbor. Be full of sports. About work. You can be so full of work that you've got nothing left to give Jesus. Well, Josh, I thought you were talking about wasting time. I am. What value is two more hours at the office going to have in 10,000 years? It's not. What about fun? Just general fun things. You can fill yourself up with dissipation with time wasting. You can just cram it in and cram it in and cram it in and cram it in. And guys, it's, it's really, really, really scary that we have adopted this mindset of a busy Christian is a happy Christian. This, this, this is normally said as a busy child is a happy child. That it's, it's good for a kid to involve them in just as many things as you possibly can because the busier they are, the happier they are. So if we can just fill up their schedule, they'll be healthier. How well does that really work? It doesn't. My mom had a rule when I was growing up. You get to do one extracurricular. I thought she was just evil. It's like, well, I don't understand. Mama. All of my friends, they're playing baseball. They're getting their black belt. I really wanted that black belt, even though I was like 50 pounds soaking wet. They're playing baseball. They're playing basketball. They're playing football. They got that black belt. They're in this club. They're going on this trip. They're doing this. They're doing this. They're doing this. And you let me do one thing and then go to church. And that's all I get to do. You're mean. She said, yeah, I'm mean. And do you know what? I'm still going to church. Look at my face. How many of my friends are? What's going to matter in 10,000 years? What are you full of? The spirit or dissipation? Time wasting. Listen to Acts 2. Being filled with the spirit can scare some people now. Because you start acting crazy. And I don't mean spinning around and shouting and, and, and blabbering. I mean real crazy. Like you start being obedient kind of crazy. Like you start talking about Jesus to people crazy. Like you start showing up at church crazy. Like you might, bless my soul, you might actually start tithing crazy. I know, I talked about giving. I did that too. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 12. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying, Whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, They're full of new wine. Being filled with the Spirit and being drunk 
according to these people, seem to look very similar. The difference is a drunk person becomes less productive and less capable, and somebody filled with the Spirit becomes more productive and more capable. When's the last time you saw somebody get totally drunk and learn a new language instantly? Might have heard them say some things that, you know, their vocabulary expanded, but it's different. This is how it's different. Exodus 31, 1 through 5. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I've called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting jewels for setting and carving wood and to work in all manner of workmanship. God had given the design for this incredible tabernacle that... The Jews were looking at saying, oh my goodness, how are we going to do this? We don't have the ability to. And God says, you're right, I don't. I'm going to take my spirit and I'm going to put it on this man Bezalel and he's going to be able to do everything I called him to do. Why? Because I called him to do it and I enabled him to do it. When God fills you with the spirit, he gives you the ability to do what he has called you to do. You don't become less effective, you become more effective. You don't become less productive, you become more productive. This is why sometimes I think we ought to caution ourselves when we say, I can't do that. That's too hard. That's too scary. Good. You figured out that it's not your power God's calling you to do it in. He's calling you to depend on the Spirit. So avoid fruitless time-wasting activities. Fourth, encourage thankful speech and relationships. Look at verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We just talked about this last Sunday, didn't we? Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A couple things I want to point out. Paul says speaking to one another. The church is built with the expectation that you're going to have relationships. There is no such thing as an internet church. And I thank the Lord I hadn't heard anybody around here mention that to me. But before I moved here, I heard plenty of people say, oh yeah, I go to church online. I watch the, I watch the preacher online. You know, They even have the songs on there now, so I can go to church without ever leaving my room. You can just drink your Dr. Pepper and eat your Cheetos while you're listening to the preacher, too, I guess. The thing is, that's all about you. That's all about your convenience. That's all about your comfort. That's not about accountability relationships. That's not about people getting to know you. That's not about people asking you, you know, when are you going to, you know, you know, hey, come with us to share the gospel with this person. Hey, how's this doing in your life? Hey, Paul assumes they're going to be speaking to one another. Do you have people, do you have relationships with people in this room? Because if, you, if you're thinking, well, I don't know, my church experience is not what I think it ought to be. Are you speaking to one another? This is the single greatest tool God has given you in your Christian life for your sanctification and growth. It's other Christians. If you come in and you leave and you never involve yourself, you never speak, dare I say, get in a Sunday school class. Join a Sunday school class. You can't hide in there. They'll talk to you. They'll fellowship with you. They'll call you. I know, I heard one class do it. 
Where's so-and-so? I don't know. Let's call him. Okay. And they did. Well, I don't want them to call me on Sunday morning. Then come to church. Um, Paul assumes they're going to be speaking to one another. And then he says in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. These relationships are to be characterized by biblical encouragement and constant singing in our hearts to God. Kind of like the previous verse, it wasn't primarily about wine. It was about dissipation, even though that was a factor. This is not necessarily about the music so much as it is the disposition. When you talk to each other, how are you speaking to one another? Are you criticizing? Are you beating down? Are you giving these little backhanded compliments? Oh, I'm so glad to see you. It's been so long since you've been in here. Ooh, okay. Could have stopped it. It's good to see you. How are you talking to each other? By the way, I've never heard that. I just made that up. I'm not calling anybody out. How are you speaking to each other? Are you encouraging them? What's the, what's the music in your heart when you speak to somebody? Is there music in your heart? Do you have joy in the Lord? How are you relating to each other? Then verse 20, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Communications, joyful communications between believers are supposed to be marked by thankfulness for all things. Now, up to this point, all of these survival commands have been internal, or external, really. This is, this is going on in your heart. What's going on inside you? How can I be thankful for all things? There are some things that I just flat don't feel like I need to be thankful about. Somebody I love got sick. Am I supposed to be thankful about that? Somebody I love passed away. Am I supposed to be thankful about that? I lost my job. Am I supposed to be thankful about that? I'm struggling financially. Am I supposed to be thankful for that? Somebody I thought was a friend stabbed me in the back. Am I supposed to be thankful about that? Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of God may rest upon me. Paul wasn't thankful for his infirmity. Paul was thankful that because of his infirmity, he had encouragement to trust God because God was trustworthy. See how his perspective shifted? That it was no longer about him and about his suffering. It was how his suffering gave him an opportunity to trust God deeper because God was trustworthy. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This isn't on your handout. But there's a couple verses before that. 11, now, not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Are we thankful for abounding? Yes. Are we thankful for being destitute? No. 
Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry. Are we thankful for being full? Yes. Are we thankful for being hungry? No. Both to abound and to suffer need. We're thankful for abounding, but not for suffering need. Then we get verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, you may not be thankful for that event itself, but that event is an excuse for me to say, thank God I know the one, the one who's in control, though. Thank God God's in control. Thank God for loving me. Thank you, God, for loving me when I'm suffering through this. I don't know what I would do if you weren't the one in charge. See, Christian, you have a unique ability to be thankful in the most horrible situations that no one else on earth has. When a lost person is suffering, they feel totally lost and drowning and losing it. When somebody who knows Christ is suffering, you can say, thank you, God, for still being in control. Because I know at the end of this, no matter what happens, I'm yours, you're watching over me, and there's nothing that happens to me that is out of your hands. You've got an ability to be thankful solely because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you thankful in all things? What is the attitude of your heart when you are speaking to one another? Encourage thankful speech in relationships. And then finally, as a little bit of a precursor to next week, Lord, I have been waiting to get to this passage the entire time we've been in Ephesians because I cannot wait for somebody to get mad. <laughs> Verse 21. Y'all brace yourselves. I'm about to say an American cuss word. Submitting. To one another in the fear of God. How many of us like to submit? Woo, we don't like it. We like to take... Y'all ever seen that flag with the, the curled up snake that says, Don't tread on me. Don't you step on me. I'll bite you. And we like to take that and open up our Bible and find a spot right in here between a couple pages and put that in there and go, Aha, that's scripture. not the way it works part of a Christian's life is that we are to submit to one another now pastor hang on you want me to submit I, I keep wanting to say Jim because it's a generic name but we got too many Jimmies you don't know Reginald Nobody here is named Reginald. If you are, I apologize. You don't know Reginald. Reginald's a horrible person. He steals my pew if I get here five minutes late. He sings off key and real loud right in my ear. He's got all the... You want me to submit to him? Yes. Why? Why? Because Paul said, in the fear of the Lord, not out of respect to Reginald. It's not about whether or not he deserves it. It's not about whether or not he earned it. It's not about whether or not you think he's qualified. It's about whether or not you want to obey Jesus. Jesus said this in Matthew 20, 26. Yet it shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. 
When you look at somebody else in this local body, you ought to be looking at them saying, how can I serve them? How can I submit to them? How can I help them? How can I be what they need? How can I get involved to make their life better? Submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. It's not about them, it's about Jesus. Say, so, oh Josh, that's going to be hard. Yeah. It's not instinct. Especially for us as Americans. We started out as a country, Britain said, submit, out of fear of us. And we said, <laughs> no. And that's built into our core. And sometimes it's a good thing when we rise up against tyranny, when we rise up against something like something. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to fight for our freedom against an earthly tyrant, but when we start fighting for our freedom from God, you're not fighting against the tyrant. You're fighting against the one who actually loves you. We don't fight for our freedom against God. We obey him because he loves us. I'm probably not going to buy that Boy Scout handbook. I'm probably not going to do it. Because I can read it for free. And you know what? You can read this for free too. It's not going to cost you a thing. Josh, I can't afford to buy a Bible. Look on your pew. There's yellow ones right there on the pew. If you don't have one, take it. See, I told you, it's free. And if you look on your pew and you say, I want one, it's not there. Tell me afterwards. I'll get one. I promise you. I got some in a room right back there. I'll hand you one. Walk wisely. The time is limited. The days are limited. You don't know how long you're going to have to walk in obedience to Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, be very, very, very careful because your days are limited too. Children, your days for obeying your parents are limited. Parents, your days for raising your children, God bless you, are, are limited. Church members, your time for serving is limited. Humans, your time for living is limited. The days are evil. Redeem the time. For you as a Christian, here's how you can act on that today. The altar is open for you. Maybe you've got some time-wasting activities that you have involved yourself in that are sapping your usefulness for kingdom work. Maybe you haven't been devoting time to study your scripture to understand the word of God. Maybe you haven't been walking according to these survival tips for walking wisely in evil days. You can leave those at the cross and start new today. You can do that. You don't have to come up here. You, you can give it to Jesus right there in your seat. If you don't know Jesus, here's your action plan today. Come to know Christ. The days are evil, and you have limited time, and you don't want to stand in front of Jesus unprepared. You don't know how to do that? There are several different things you can do. You can come up front and chat with me. We'll set a time to talk a little bit later in more detail. you got a, a bulletin. If you grab one, there's a guest card on the side of it. You can fill that out and put that in the offering plate, and I'll follow up with you. Or you can catch me at the back door. We'll do the same thing at the back door we would have done up here if you walk down this front aisle. I just don't want you to leave if the Holy Spirit's working on you without responding. Okay? I'm going to pray. You're going to have the opportunity to respond. Joyce and Abby are going to lead us in a couple of verses of a hymn. As soon as you're done, we'll have a, we're done with that. We'll have a couple of announcements, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, I thank you so much.
um, for today. Thank you for giving us um, wisdom and clarity in evil days. Lord, our time is limited. I pray, uh, Holy Spirit, that the hearts you're working on right now, Lord, for the hearts of believers that you would point out maybe ways that we could walk wiser in our limited days. And Lord, for those who are here today that don't know you, I pray that you would just provoke them to obedience and submission to you so that they would have life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.